Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. This week, we're talking about improv and empathy with Karen Riley. Karen joined me from her office in Dublin, Ireland, where she runs user research and design at her web agency, Iterate. Karen's doing a workshop called Improvise to Empathize at the upcoming Convey UX conference here in Seattle. And when I saw that, not only did it look really interesting, but it also sounded like something that could use a little more exploration. Besides having a successful career in web agency, Karen also performs improv in Dublin. She realized that the techniques that she used in improv could also be used in her design work to help create greater empathy for the users she's designing for. So she's created an approach that she uses with her teams and stakeholders at the beginning of all their design projects at Iterate. Now she occasionally runs workshops teaching these techniques that her company uses to help other product teams become more empathetic and create better products for their users. Thanks so much, Karen, for joining me on UX Cake. I'm really excited to talk to you about this. Oh, nice. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited too. (laughs) So our topic today is empathy and improvisation, um, which is the premise of your, your upcoming talk at Convey UX here in Seattle, um, where you're joining us from Ireland. And so your premise is that learning improv can help us design better products by increasing our empathy, which sounds really interesting. I'd like to talk a little bit first about empathy. Maybe you can explain to us how that helps us design better products. Well, I guess um, I've always thought that empathy was very important in designing products. I come from a psychology background, so I've always like kept users and the people who are actually going to end up using the product in the back of my mind and everything I do. And I suppose now that I have my own business, it's we have some core values. One of them is people first, and empathy is really instilled in that, that we're always thinking about uh, the people who are going to use the products, the people that we engage with, as well as our own team um, and our clients as well. So I think empathy is so important because you can't, well, you can, but it doesn't work out right. But you can't really design something uh, when you don't understand fully the needs and the personalities and the desires of the people who are going to use the product. Um, You can go ahead and design something, but I don't think it's ever as successful as it could be if you really engage with people. Um, And I guess, you can be an an empathetic person, but if you don't feel like you are, you can learn how to be more empathetic and you can do that by uh, being more of an active listener or being able to validate uh, what people are saying to you, being more engaged if you're running workshops or if you're uh, interviewing or doing focus groups and things like that. Um, And I think that the end result is always something better for the people who are using the product and I would include stakeholders in that like the the client uh, the people within the company that you're working for or your own company Um, like they are users of the product as well 
and you have to be empathetic with them. If you're not, you might end up creating something that's really usable by the active users of the product, but you've forgotten about a whole subgroup of users. Um, and I think it's harder for us as businesses and as designers to be empathetic with that group of people. Um, because as I'm sure you know, like you get involved in a, a UX design project or you're, you're building a product and you're trying to do the best that you can for the people who are using the product. And sometimes it can feel a bit like uh, the client is getting away, like in the way of, of your own goals for the product. product. Um, but I think if you understand that they obviously have their stresses and their pressures and they have budget concerns and all this kind of stuff going on as well, then you're going to end up creating a better product for those people as well. That's a great point about not just being empathetic with the users, but also with your stakeholders. And I, I do want to get there, but before we talk about that, something you said, you mentioned a little earlier. So, you know, we tend to describe empathy as a personality trait, mm -hmm. right? People, somebody is empathetic or not empathetic, but you're implying that it's something that can be learned. And my, my follow-up question to that is, do people ever really realize that they're not very empathetic? Uh, I think when I start working with them, they do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think some people do. Like, it depends what situation you're in. But I, I definitely know people who understand that they, they don't feel as strongly about things as maybe I do or some of their other friends or family do. Like, you can usually tell from just watching a movie um, or hearing a story on the news or things like that if you are very empathetic because if you are you're going to engage with whatever is happening um, and if, you, if you're not really empathetic you'll you'll know that it's happening but you won't really be engaged and you won't feel what other people are feeling and I think to some people who are self-aware that's very obvious to them that they don't have a high level of empathy um, but I think uh, yeah well I don't think we really think about it very much either. Like, I don't think you'd be sitting on the couch uh, watching something sad on TV and think, God, I'm a terrible person for not feeling bad about that. Um, I'm sure some people do. But <laughs> I think it, it is a, a skill. We are like, we're born as empathetic babies. Like, you know, if, if a baby cries, another baby hears them cry, they'll start crying, crying too because they feel something. And I think as we get older and as we grow up and develop into the people that we become, uh, we kind of lose some of that, like the natural empathy. And then we need to work on it and we have to, act, to actively work on being empathetic. And so you had taken an improv class and you were coming from this place of understanding how Im improv can increase empathy. And I guess it sounds like you, you developed some techniques to actually um, get teams working in this way during the design process. And I'm, I'm wondering about when you develop those techniques, those improvisational techniques for the design process, did that come from a place where you were maybe seeing that the team wasn't thinking empathetically or maybe uh, it wasn't the entire team thinking empathetically? Where did that come from? I think my main issue at the start was personas and the lack of meaning and feeling and engagement that you can get from a persona. And everyone's using personas. I think maybe a little bit less now because we're using things like jobs to be done and 
user stories rather than personas and user journeys. But when I was like handing over, when the research team were handing over to the design team and then onwards to the development team and even back to the stakeholders, the personas weren't as compelling as we thought they were. Because obviously we had worked through the research phase. We had we spoke to the the users, the stakeholders, we carried out workshops and interviews and we had a really strong feeling for those users. But when you try to hand that over in a persona and scenario format, that was where it kind of fell apart because the design team didn't feel the way we felt. And I didn't know how to make them feel the way that I felt about the different user groups. Um, so that was that was my main issue really was personas. And I guess I was I was in uh, an improv course and we were learning a lot about character development. And it was actually, it was more of an acting kind of workshop that I was doing. And we had to embody a character. Um, so like we started with the, this, it's, a, it's kind of an improv character building exercise where you walk around the room, you pick something about your walk that's a little bit different to how you would walk normally. Uh, and then you build different things into that. So you you think about how the person you're embodying would say hello to somebody, how they would ask a question. Um, do they have some kind of quirky thing going on that might not be noticeable, but would be noticeable in conversation and things like that. And you walk around and develop this character. And at the end of this, and it was the first time I did it. Um, and at the end of it, it turned out that I was like a very depressed accountant. Now, I don't know how that happens. Like it was, I have no idea what. Was that a stretch for you? <laughs> that was a bit of a stretch, yeah. Um, and I think it was in, interesting for other people to see who who knew me in the workshop as well. Um, that I was portraying this, uh, yeah, just a very kind of negative, um, and sad and kind of lonely accountant. And the next part of it was that I had to invite them into my house. So basically make up a house in my mind um, and invite all of the audience into it. And I had to show them around. And that's when it became obvious to me that there's so much that we could build onto personas. So they get the, quali- the quantitative data, get that all together, and then build and build and build and enhance the story of the user. Um, because I actually felt like when I was showing the people around my imaginary house um i i started to feel depressed like i i started to feel negative myself and it took a while to shake that off like it probably took a day or two um to shake it off completely uh and i guess yeah that's when i realized how powerful it could be because i think it's a lot more engaging if if you add on to the personas wow that sounds really really interesting i mean it sounds like it'd be really interesting to observe, but I think um, a lot of people might feel uh, really kind of scared of actually tr- trying something like that in front of an audience. Yeah. Have you encountered that with your workshops? Not really. Like uh, I've I've run it a few times now and it's daunting at the start, but like I, I wouldn't be expecting people in, in a UX improv workshop to go through that whole process that I went through. Like I was actively trying to be a better improviser and it just happened that I figured out that we could do something in UX research to use improv. Um, but I wouldn't expect the same kind of level from 
people who had never done improv before. So I think, yeah, when when they come into the workshop, yet yeah, there is definitely a bit of fear. Um, but we start, like, we start just having fun, really. Um, we play lots of games, uh, lots of things to get you out of your head, which is one of the most important things in improv, and for empathy as well. Um, if you're in your own head or if you're feeling bad about something, it's really, really difficult to empathize with somebody else. Um, and it's the same in improv. If you're in your head, you're going to have a really bad show. So I work a lot on getting people out of their heads and into the space and enjoying the space. Um, so yeah, we, we start small. We just have fun. We play some games like we do some big group games. We do one on one kind of games um, and we do some kind of interviewing techniques just that a lot of people would already be aware of, but we, we would start with that and you're, you're being yourself in those situations and you're maybe just being a little bit more vulnerable than you might like to be uh, in a workshop, in a UX workshop setting, um, with answering questions that maybe you wouldn't have expected to answer, things like that. But it takes like a good hour and a half to two hours to get people ready to start developing characters or building on the personas that they already have. It's not as scary as it seems. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if you've seen this in the people that you work with after they've tried these workshops. Have you observed a difference in someone's work after they've tried these things? Yeah, definitely. Like the basics of improv really help. And that's usually we do some games and then we get into the basics of improv. And basically, like, I don't know how much uh, I know improv very uh, popular in the in the US but um like the five basic things are yes anding so that means uh if you said to me uh, we should buy a uh, a football pitch i would have to say yes and we should buy a football team to play on it and then we would go forward and back yes anding everything um because that builds the story uh the next thing would be i've got your back and it's all about support that whoever you're working with or um, performing with, you've always got each other's backs. You're always supporting each other. You'll always get each other out of a painful situation, uh, which can happen in improv when you say something wrong or something that you shouldn't have said, <laughs> which is always awkward. Um, and then it's, it's about being vulnerable. So finding the feeling rather than just talking about something actually like being vulnerable and trying to engage with the feelings that you're experiencing taking other perspectives is another thing so walking in somebody else's shoes and then the fifth kind of basic thing is enhancing the game um so keep building and building and building on the story or the the persona so once yeah once i work with my own team or with the clients and we go through these basics I notice a lot more afterwards that they're more open to different things. They're more flexible and fluid in their opinions. And where a client might have said, no, definitely not. Uh, I don't have budget for that or I, I'm, I'm not interested in that this year or whatever. Uh, it would be usually a more fluid or flexible uh, response instead. And the same for my own team. Um, and then the support, I think, is is really valuable as well, knowing that everyone involved in the project is ready to support you, willing to support you. And that includes stakeholders, uh, the clients, the users, uh, and my team all working on the project together. I think that gives them a lot more confidence. Uh, it makes them a lot more 
open to bigger ideas, uh, coming up with better concepts, better designs, and not being as afraid to present those to the stakeholders because they know they're on the same page. So this is something that your teams will do with stakeholders then. The entire team that's working on creating a product Mm -hmm. is in the same world. Yes, and I think that's very important for empathy. It matters if my team are empathizing with the user, but if the stakeholders aren't, or if they're just trying to make money and they think that's the most important thing and they don't see the value of uh, getting input from the user and things like that, then you're not going to have a successful project. So I like to get everyone together, everyone collaborating and yeah, involving everyone and having fun. I think that's really important, like have fun between the team and the stakeholders. So we all know we're working towards the same, the same end goal, but we want to have fun as a company and we'd like them to enjoy the process as well. So, yeah, I think it's really important to engage everyone early. Yeah, it sounds like something that that maybe this approach is something that appeals to the clients who would come to you. But sometimes a client has, you know, there's multiple people in that company and, you know, some people are bought in and some people maybe are not as much. I'm wondering if you've encountered a, a time when you've gotten some resistance from some stakeholders. Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> who hasn't gotten resistance? Yeah, like I remember one one client that I worked with about two years ago, uh myself and one of our senior designers went into the workshops and we had planned it all out um which now I don't do because I'm a better improviser but um we had planned the whole workshop and at the start of it there were five stakeholders there and they all said no we're not doing that um which was pretty awkward uh and then we we basically just sat there taking notes of the things that they were talking about um and after that meeting i said we're not going to work on that project um that was that's probably the worst uh, example but that was like when i'm work doing these workshops with clients they don't know there's anything going on with improv they don't know that i'm focusing on that they don't know i'm using the techniques uh, or the games that we would play in improv they just see it as a discovery session and like they don't need to know when I'm running workshops like this for conferences or when clients teams want to work better together then they they obviously know and we go through all the basics we go through why we're doing it we talk about empathy and all that kind of stuff but in the workshops for clients we they don't ever need to know that it's it's anything to do with improvisation or comedy um but we get the same value from it that everyone's on the same page, everyone's listening better, they're validating questions and answers, they're considering more what people are saying in the room, they're having fun, so they're opening up more. Um, they're a little bit vulnerable because of some of the games we play, so they support each other more. Um, so yeah, and we get them out of their head by playing games as well. But again, they, they don't know what we're doing. So now they do because I'm telling them. <laughs> Hopefully none of them listen to this. They'd be like, what? We're doing improv? (laughs) Oh, I love that, though. But isn't that like so much of what we have to do when we work with stakeholders, whether it's a client or in our company, is we don't necessarily tell them what we're doing. Yeah. (laughs) It's the the whole strategy, right, behind how do you get people to, um, how do you persuade people, I guess, to do 
what you're asking them to do. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you have any uh, suggestions for techniques or maybe ways to encourage more empathy in others when we're working with someone who maybe doesn't seem to be listening or I guess whether it's listening to users or listening to others in the team. Um, I think for the team, something that we've done recently is disk profiling. I don't, this, it definitely helps me, but um, it's basically personality profiling. Um, and we all filled in a survey and then we, we meet like every quarter to discuss how we're all getting on with each other. Um, I think that's been very valuable to me because it helps me to understand people better, like the team members better, how they communicate how they want to be communicated with, what they're most comfortable doing, what would really challenge them. Um, And then they learn the same about me. So I think our communication over the last few months has really improved because we understand each other better. Um, I think if if you're talking about users, it's about active listening. So something that you can do with the user or with the team member is ask them to repeat what you're saying and you do the same for them. So even in meetings, I find this really helpful. Uh, So if you're having a meeting about uh, budgeting a project um, and you say that, so it's a a 20 grand project, have them repeat, it's a 20 grand project. Uh, Then they might say that it's a, there's 10 different stakeholders. So you say there are 10 different stakeholders. And I know that probably seems a bit silly, but it means that you're not waiting. You're not uh, building yourself up for a response to whatever they're saying, which is what we've been taught to do in school, to always be ready to respond. Uh, You're waiting and you're accepting what they're saying, validating it, and then you're adding something to it. I think that can be really valuable. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm trying to imagine... um an individual, you know, in a work setting, how they might (laughs) kind of along your lines of getting someone to do something without them knowing that you're getting them to do that. Like, how would you, you, um, how might somebody go about this when it's a peer or even a client? I think for, for your own team, you should be like open to everyone knowing how you're trying to improve things or Uh, improve communication or listening or empathy skills Uh, with a client whatever you do is going to influence them so mirroring is a really good thing as well uh, because that creates a shared understanding so maybe instead of just repeating what they're saying it's similar to repeating what they're saying but it's uh, kind of saying it with them uh, understanding their concerns and relaying the concern back to them you'll find that people who are empathetic will mirror more and they'll start repeating your concerns back to you to increase the skill of empathy in somebody who's really not empathetic without them knowing. I think that's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you should uh, sign them up for Convey UX and send them to my workshop. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea. <laughs> How do we know if we're being empathetic or not? Like what happens in an improv situation, if someone isn't doing a great job of reading their audience or reading the people they're interacting with? I guess because we support each other so much, it doesn't happen very often. But when it does, uh, we would support that person by tagging them out of the scene or 
uh, keeping them in the scene, but making fun of what they had just said, or like if it was a misunderstanding and they hadn't been listening, we would then make fun of that. So I guess it's probably just using heightening the humor and they then realized that they weren't on the same page as everyone else. But then we have created a new page very quickly. I think that's the beauty of improv. Like it's so fluid. It's so flexible. Um, it's made up on the spot so you can you can do whatever you want, really. But it works a lot better if you're listening, if you're validating, if you're enhancing the game. Um, and it's really obvious to the audience if you're not doing that. And I've definitely seen it. I've seen performances where there was no engagement with the audience. And it's very difficult to watch as an audience member, especially if you're empathetic as an audience member, because you start to really feel what's happening on stage in a work situation. If you feel like you're just coming up against the wall again and again, I don't know, like keep pushing. It's the same as being like an advocate of UX. You just have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing for people to improve. And you have to be an advocate for empathy too, because that's a huge part of uh, user experience design. Yeah, it sounds like um, for an individual to understand if they are being empathetic or not is about queuing in to the reaction. Mm -hmm. You know, are they getting a positive reaction or, or a negative reaction? So potentially like in a work situation, Similar to, I guess, the the um, analogy with improv for the work situation might be that if you're not being empathetic, then you get you get written out of the scene. Yeah. <laughs> that could happen at work, too. Right. That's a pretty good indication. When I said about tagging someone out, it felt a bit bad. And I was thinking, yeah, that person just got fired. But yeah, <laughs> it seems a little bit hard harsh but like empathy and and actually feeling emotions of users is going to get more and more important in design and if you can't learn the skill then yes maybe maybe user experience design isn't for you anymore but that's very depressing so i apologize well maybe there's hope in uh you know attending workshops like these that actually focus on improving empathy yeah yeah exactly and the last few workshops I've done, I've just been doing them for the people who are in the workshop. So like trying to give them some skills that they can use themselves and make them more confident in being a little bit more fluid and flexible in their own workshops. But at Convey UX, we're going to try to get some of the attendees to run some of these games and techniques so that they can actually use them in workshops and use them with their own teams. And I think, yes, spreading the use of improv in that way could be really valuable. Yeah. And I have to say, so I'm really looking forward to your to this workshop at Convey UX. I feel really lucky that I can be there. But I have to admit that improv is a little feels a little outside my comfort zone. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine you must hear that a lot. Yeah. Well, I hear it from myself. Like <laughs> I'm terrified nearly every time I go on stage. But the more I do it, the the better I feel. I guess improv is one of those things that can give you the high of like having a great night out on the beer without the hangover, but it can also make you feel absolutely terrible about yourself because if you have one bad show, like you start to think that you're a bad person and you're doing everything wrong with yourself and like with your life and everything. But I think, yeah, the thing to remember is that improv is basically just getting you out of your head and into your heart and understanding that you're just a person doing a bad job at something. It, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person because you've done something wrong. And that's one of the best things about improv is that you can't make a mistake. Anything that happens, happens because it was meant to happen. And you just have to roll with it and your team has to roll with it. 
which is why it's very harsh to like tag somebody out if you feel like something's wrong because they haven't actually done anything wrong, but you're just trying to support them and help them out of a tricky situation that they're in. People tend to be scared. I was terrified when I started improv, but I really, really see the value in it. And I'm sure once you do the workshop, you'll see it too. And and when I did it at UX Oxford last year, the attendees left uh, little post-its with their feedback. And a lot of them did say things like, I was terrified coming in here, but I feel a lot more confident leaving um, or like I didn't understand how we were going to make characters, but now because I based it on a persona that I was using for a project, now I feel like I have a better understanding of that user. So yeah, it'll be scary, but you'll be fine. (laughs) Well, do you have any suggestions or resources for people who want to try something like your workshop out, but unfortunately aren't in Seattle or can't make it to one of your workshops? Yeah, I think just doing any improv will help you. Like it's helped me so much in in confidence, in actually being able to present now or do workshops or do presentations at conferences, things like that. I find that quite normal now, uh, whereas I would have been very nervous before. But because I now make stuff up on the spot in front of 70 people, that seems very normal now. So even if you can build your confidence to be a better a more confident UX designer by going to an improv workshop, even a very basic one, it will definitely do something for you. And I'm sure, um, I can't remember what the one is called in Seattle, but there's a couple in Portland. Yeah, theater sports in theater sports in Seattle. I am going to link to that in the show notes. And there might be some other resources I can find for show notes that could help people out. Yeah, I think there, there's lots of stuff up there. I can I can share some with you as well. Okay. And if for people who want to find out more about you or your company, where should they go? The website is iterate.ie. And then you can find me on LinkedIn or uh, at iterate on Twitter as well. And then... If you're interested, if you happen to be coming to Dublin, my improv groups are The Good China and Red Diamond. Excellent. Well, hopefully we'll be having listeners in Dublin. So awesome. So this has been really fun, Karen. And thank you so much for talking to us today at UX Cake about improv and empathy. Um, I hope more people can start attending workshops like this. Well, we'll try to give you the instructions and then you can you can start running them yourself in Seattle. So it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to turn this into maybe a figure out how to turn it into an online course. Everything is online these days. Yeah, improv is one thing that's quite difficult to do online, but uh, we can we can work it out. We can improvise. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose if I could end on one thing, it would be a quote that I have on a calendar, and the calendar is a cow yoga calendar, which is the best thing I've ever bought. But uh, yeah, the quote is, get out of your head, into your heart, think less, feel more. That's pretty much how you empathize with people and cows. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. That is a great quote to end the show with. (laughs) Great. Well, that was a brilliant conversation with Karen Riley. And I think there's a big takeaway from that besides practicing improv for better empathy, talking about being terrified to try something that's outside your comfort zone, something like improv, which is quite terrifying for some people, or performing in front of an audience or even speaking in front of a group of people. Some For some people, that is terrifying, literally. But whatever it is that's outside your comfort zone, being terrified to try something 
and doing it anyway. Don't think too much about it and get out of your head. And then you keep doing it and you see progress. All right, you can find the links to the resources that we talked about on the show notes page at uxcake.co. And you can connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. And again, thanks for sharing a slice of UX cake with me. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week.